They watch the kids as they go out. Look at their faces. Like really watch them as they go out. If you could do me a favor and just put a picture of the um, shepherd's house in Guatemala on the screen, that would be awesome. I was just thinking, see there goes another beautiful face. I'm just thinking, uh, I was looking at the image and, uh, and just thinking about what God wants to do here in us and through us. As we, as we talk right now about uh, the third chapter of the book of Colossians, see you later alligator. As we talk about the third chapter of the book of Colossians and that the, the most prevalent display of the glory of God is found in two places. One is in the church of Jesus Christ where there is no other name that we're about. And so what a good song to sing and in, in the family as we gather as families and as Deuteronomy just task us to go and make great the name of Christ. It's just interesting to me in the third chapter of Colossians as he says, whatever we're about in every way, let it be done for the glory of God. Let people be taught. Let them be admonished. Let them grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, as they do that, they're going to do that in context of, of healthy relationships shared among the body of Jesus Christ. And they're also, as Paul then turns in the third chapter around verse 17, which I'll read in just a few minutes, they're going to, it's going to happen in context of the family. And when the family, the, the family that just uh, makes up these homes that are enclaves, that are their spiritual places of Christ's glory, and those homes come together as, as we're called to do, you know, meeting in the temple courts, if you will, meeting in these places like today, just to say, God, there's no name among us except Jesus. There, there will be just an uprising. And I, as I was looking at the picture of, of the Good Shepherd home, I was just thinking about this practical reality that I want for God to birth among us. I mean, this place is a place of worship. This is a place of physical and spiritual healing. And what I want you to understand about that is because of the vision and heart of a few people, along with an entire state being the state of North Carolina, coming behind this few people, the Grossmans and others who are partner with them, there is this refuge, there is this place of hope where literally people will come and walk for days, not hours or minutes. You know, I know we're greatly sacrificing driving in here today. And, and sitting in this room that's air, people will walk for days to say, we need hope. And I, and I love that. And I'm just, I wonder, as I look at this, not um, what God's going to do among our team um, next week, although I will pray for that diligently over the next week. I wonder what oasis of hope, refuge, and the glory of Christ God wants to raise up among this fellowship. My wife leaned over to me and she said, as Ray was singing and the choir was just getting after her behind her, can you not think of the day, Mark, when we have to sing this song weekly? I, I like having her sit beside me. I said, I hope we diversify. Like, we have a few songs that we send teams out to. But I, I would love for the day. You know, I had a, a student hand me this today. He said, I've got to go. I can't be here. There's another team getting ready to go to the nations. We'll share about that next week. Today is just about Guatemala. But in about three weeks, another team. So he hands me his passport. It's got a check in it. Um, I, I've scribbled out who he wrote it to and put my name in it. But, uh, oh my goodness, this is a blank check. 
Yes, this is like a great moment right now. No, I'm, it is a blank check, but I better put it away. Um, he hands me his passport, hands me his check, and says, I can't wait to go to the nations. And so I, I wanted you to look at the faces of kids and just start to pray about, um, as a church, as we talk about, you know, it's one thing for the pastor to stand up front and read Colossians 3, verses 10, 11, 12, 12, 13, 14, 15. Unity, compassion, kindness, gentleness, a, a heart for the just the nations, a heart for whatever we're about, God, you're glorified. I mean, it's one thing for us to sermonize about that, for maybe you even think about that while you eat fried chicken at lunch, you know, whatever, however long you process that. And it's another thing to start to say, God, we are, we are praying that we will raise up generations who will be build and, and grow and reap a multiple oasis of your glory and your name all over the world so that whether it's here in Jacksonville and they're a businessman or a woman or whether they're going to one of the furthest parts of the world, they are recognizing as beautiful faces what the glory of God looks like. And here's what I understand from this passage. They'll gain that obviously through the Spirit of God who has rescued them and who is in them and their hope of glory. But apparently, God prospers this through his church and he takes and does things among us as the people of God to speak into generation after generation the majesty and wonder of God and also he stimulates or fans the flame not only through his church but in the heart of families and unless you just didn't look at the kids because the pastor said to but you had to check your phone or something I brought one of my favorite things that Susan's had our family to do with me so you could see this as well um, this will hang in our house and this is a treasure to us and this is um, a beautiful box where we went in Birmingham, Alabama and um, Julia wanted me to point out which one she was and say she's the prettiest and so she's the second one from your right and um, she, she uh, the, this is just a picture that was actually amazing, guys. Sat down with a scissors and in five minutes made an incredible image of each one of our kids. And this is a treasure in our home and we have individual of these. And, and you know, this is just a shadow. I mean, this is a picture frozen in time, a shadow of things that I can tell you and I can start talking, but it's not that relevant to you, what Susan and I have prayed for, literally when we met and were dating and would sit weekly at Gorgas Library on the campus of University of Alabama, and we have a journal filled with prayer for these five. I mean, just, we, you know, we, we're dating and we're praying for these and praying they'll go to the nations. And then as God has favored us and we've had these kids, we've, we're raising them, one of them raised to the point of out of our home, and we're just praying that God and the gospel will pervade among them. But these are shadows. These are, these are just moments of static hope. Because here's what happens. We really want to partner with churches who are passionate for the gospel, who will help these shadows come alive for the sake of the glory of Christ. And as a family, we want to sit in our home and have dialogues and wrestle with doubts of our children and wrestle with wonderings of them and wrestle with passions for them and wrestle when they're writing me in this service right now with significant theological questions from Haiti about what is God doing and how do I step into these needs and they're so vast. 
That's the text exchange I'm dealing with while you're singing about the love of God. These are shadows, and apparently we bring these shadows alive by the mercy of Jesus Christ and the responsibility that He has given us as a church to flesh out the gospel. Don't Please don't just get locked in. Those faces that are most precious to you, we as carriers of the gospel will bring the shadows to life. And it's our role. And so when we're, when we roll in here on a Sunday and we decide to dial it in and just say it's just not a good day, that matters because there's going to be a kid sitting in this room. When we decide to dial it in as a mom or dad and just say what I'm about to do to compromise the gospel, look, it is seeds in the hearts of our kids. It is not a dial in for this church to look at all the faces that just walked out of here and all the faces that will become a part of this church. It is not a capacity for us to say this is not a matter to us, that the gospel, the kindness, the gentleness, the humility, and the passion for Jesus Christ, these are what apparently Jesus says will lead to a people who will live their every whatever for the sake of the gospel. And we fan that into flame. And we bring shadows to life. Only because of the grace and the mercy of Christ in us, who has rescued us and given us this incredible privilege of the ministry of reconciliation. Drawing people, and please just take this story way past our children that we so dearly love and raise in our home and start to look at your neighbors and say, God, this gospel story, it really should capture us. And when we start singing that there's no other name of Jesus, our hearts should beat faster. And we should start coming back to the original question I asked God, what places of refuge and hope will you call out of this fellowship? What will you do in this fellowship? I, I see the picture on the screen and there's really nobody around them. We, we are so privileged that when you take a snapshot from a helicopter of our place, there are hungry and thirsty people who don't even know of their hunger that surround us right now. And apparently God has called us to be salt, which is to whet their appetite by the goodness and grace of who He is among us. And to create a thirsting and longing because they look into us and say, I, I can't believe who He is to you and what that apparently does to and for you. I wrote down three things in your notes, and if you have your note sheet, it's on the back of your ministry guide every week. I just wrote down three thoughts, and I don't know if we'll fully get through them. I think you're here long enough now with me to realize after a couple of years, I'm very comfortable with pacing as the Holy Spirit sees fit, and we'll just pick back up next week. But there are three things that I think he's been saying to us out of the third chapter of the book of Colossians. Um, I, I, I was um, really wanting to jump into um, a pretty significant diatribe on family life, and as I read the third chapter of the book of Colossians more and more, what I realize is Paul, like in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, he has some significant moments when he really talks about family. What he's more talking about in this, in this scriptural context is saying, look, here's what I want you to be as a church and a family, but I really want you to understand that this is all about the gospel. That the family is placed on this planet to be a glorious display of the gospel. So kids, let me just read it. So kids, I just want to illustrate how the gospel works for you. Wives, you should submit to your husbands. It's fitting. Oh, Lord. Husband, you should love your wives and don't be harsh with them. 
He's just kind of illustrating here, just saying, look, this is where the gospel will really, really gain great foothold. Children, you should find great joy in obeying your parents in everything, by the way. You should circle that. <laughs> For this pleases the Lord. And by the way, kids, you're gonna, you're gonna obey them because fathers, you're never going to embitter them. Because if you embitter your kids, they'll be discouraged for the gospel. So don't embitter your kids. Just live out this faith before them. Slaves, as you go about your work, obey your earthly masters in everything. Do it. Not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but you should work with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. So some of you are going, I'm not a slave. Thank you, Jesus. That's over. That's done. You've set people free. So when you go to work tomorrow and you don't like it, you should recognize that God has given you that by His grace. And He sovereignly ordained you to be exactly where you are. And you shouldn't look for favor. And you shouldn't work solely so that other people will see your goodness. But you should work with a sincere heart and with gladness. Because you do it for the gospel. And I don't think many people around you see the gospel. And so you get to show them. How fun is that? Whatever you do, this is the gospel-centered verse, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ you serve. It's what you're about. It's the Lord Christ and the gospel in life. And I just go back up. If you read verses 15 through 17, he's really talking to them and saying, in fact, verse 17 is, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's like Paul forgot five verses later, he just wrote this. And he's kind of looking and saying, hey, in the middle of the church, where there's this word of Christ dwelling, there's this thanksgiving, there's this forgiveness that's going on here that is nonsensical to people outside of here. There's this humility and compassion. I mean, there's this bearing with one another. I mean, literally, when we are walking through the very fires of hell on this earth, there are people who are with us, bearing up with us, like coming under us and just holding up our arms. But there are times when I'm just wanting to lay down, not just my arms are tired, I am exhausted. And there are people just wrapping their arms around me and saying, you can't stand, I'll bear with you. And he's looking and saying, in all this whatever, this is a glorious display of the greatness of Jesus Christ, which is what chapters 1 and 2 have said to us. And this display is manifest in the heart of the church and through the essence of the family. And when those two come together, oh my goodness, what a glorious gospel display. I just... I put in your notes just this thought that we can't do this on our own. There is a, a calling to complete dependence. I, I alluded to this last week. I, I love that. Don't you love, if you're a version person, that Jeremiah 33.3 was the verse of the day on Tuesday after we talked about it quite a bit on Sunday. And so I'm getting all these people posting going, you know, look, we've got to call on Jesus and be completely dependent upon Him because we'll miss things that we don't know. We won't be about things that are great in His kingdom. And so, we, there's just, and I was already all over this last week, so let me just move through this. There will be a complete dependence 
in the church of Jesus Christ, if the gospel of Jesus Christ is to pervade, and if we are to step into shadows and watch as God, through His gospel, brings those shadows into thriving life. For He has come for that. To give life in abundance. And so when we just look at this, God, we're just fully dependent upon you. I, I illustrated last week with a name I'm still not going to even try. But there's a 127-mile river running through southeast Louisiana, dumping into the Gulf of Mexico. And, and I love this. It's a tributary, a distributary that literally comes off the Mississippi. And we have this water in our hands that is really what we have. This is all we have. Granted, we, we bring some pretty good things to the table. But look, I would like for you to take what you have and pour it out into the banks of a 127-mile distributary and determine how powerful that will be. I'm just really thinking that what you bring to the table might be a drop. It'll be a pretty insignificant drop. And the point last week was, look, you have nothing. We are, as a church, a distributary of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Christ, the glory of Christ, Christ dead, buried, and resurrected on the third day, that is all we hang our hats on. The cross of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the confession of that resurrection, the call out of this church, Jesus, you are Lord. There's no other name under heaven by which men are saved, so there's no other name that we're going to make much of. It's, it's the only name. It's Jesus that cries out among us. And we're just kind of sitting around saying, God, this gospel, it is our Mississippi. It flows through us and it flows out of us. And we are dependent upon that and we are relying upon that and we're pouring our hopes out of that. Like, for instance, if we, if we really want to say, look, we're going to settle for a less potent source, then we are ultimately settling for absolute poverty as a church. The Bible will give us great teaching on morals, on parenting, all of these things that are good and are wonderful. But our ability to walk in these truths with freedom and with joy, with passion and conviction, our ability to walk through this is to say, God, we are not seeking as a people to be moral standard bearers. Other than, if we're doing that, we might as well put on our Pharisee cap and walk around. God, we want more than that. We're seeking for your life in us, your life filling us, your life apart from your life. We have nothing. And so God, as a church, we're just kind of laying down the very essence of who we are and dying to that so that we can be a distributary of something that is so much more potent. Something so much more glorious. Something so much more powerful. The gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ forms the church. Without the Mississippi, this 127 mile distributary has nothing. The gospel is the Mississippi, if you will, of this church. God, we, we rely on you. We love relationship with Jesus Christ will drive every single thing we're about and will drive our capacity to say, whatever we do, God, we do it for your glory. When we choose something else other than that, we choose, okay, God, we're going to do great programming. God, we're really going to put this together. We're going to get the right music minister finally. Or God, we're going to finally get the right student pastor. Or we're finally going to call in the pastor and get right down here. If we're kind of leaning into those kind of things, we're failing. Because the lean in is this, Jesus Christ. 
The lean-in is dependence on Him. The lean-in is dying to self. And God, can we just pray that we'll get a pastor? Can we just pray for this guy, which happens to be me? Can we just pray for Ryan? Can we pray for student-student guy, future student guy? Can we just pray that they will die every day to themselves? Can we just pray that those of you have kind of stuck in the middle of this fellowship to lead, that they will be nothing. That they will make nothing of themselves. That they will actually learn from John the Baptist and they will get smaller and smaller so that you, Jesus, could increase. That would be the prayer. And oh God, by the way, while we're praying that for our leaders, we long for that for us. God, we're praying that you will just call us to to just to people who are utterly dependent upon you. If we do anything else, we are just pursuing death. And more powerfully, we are a distributary of death. No hope. No power. Passionless. Boy, when our passion becomes about Jesus, it is powerful. The gospel is God's powerful and perfect and glorious work in Christ. His death his burial, his resurrection, it is the essence of who we are. That is where we will grow as a church. That is where we'll prosper and that's where shadows will come to life. There's a total surrender that he calls for. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, verses 7, 17 through 19, he says something so powerful. And actually, it's Peter that says it. And then God, Jesus just comes along and says, Peter, you didn't get this from anyone. I read this last week, so let me read it again. Peter is saying uh, to Jesus in this context, Jesus is saying, what are people saying about me? They say that to us all the time. And they're saying, you're really good, you're powerful, and you're a prophet even. And, and he asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter says such a profound thing in verse 16, you're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. Here's where he carries on and says, so here's what should happen among churches and among families from this day forward. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This wasn't revealed to you by man. This was given to you by my Father in heaven. It's pause. You didn't pull this out of your water bottle, Peter. And the church in days ahead won't pull this out of their water bottle. There was a Mississippi. There was a Father in heaven who was pouring this in. And Peter, if the church that you're going to lead and you're going to launch if this church will rest on this confession that comes from something outside of themselves. They don't have it together. But Peter, if this church will rest on this confession, here's what's going to happen among this church. Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not overcome it. That should be a rising up within us. Just reading that and saying, holy God, we want in the middle of a city where, according to Rick Wheeler, who works with JBA, is telling us more than 60% of the people in this city don't know Jesus Christ. We should be as a church rising up and saying, holy God, we make confession of your lordship. We utterly surrender our lives to you. We cry out, Jesus, move among us. Because here's what's happening, Lord. Portions of the city, large portions of people around us don't know you. And they're not going to know you apart from your spirit moving in us and among us and moving toward them. And so, holy God, we're going to make much confession. We're going to make much death of self. We're going to bring much life from you. Holy God, bring us alive through your power and spirit. You are the Lord. You're the Messiah. Save us as a church. And save us again tomorrow. And save us again tomorrow.
and save us again for your glory and your namesake. It's just a surrender. I, I mentioned last week that Paul said, look, I am a bondservant of Jesus. And I ask you this question, and I wonder where you landed with it. How do you describe yourself? You can tell so much about a person by how they describe themselves. What do you say about yourself? If we're going to be a place that brings shadows to life, we're going to be a place of utter and complete surrender where we just say, look, God, we're here for you. We're here for your glory. And I don't have great descriptions about me. I, it, who cares for what I do or what this world calls things of great recognition. God, here's what I really want to be about is your glory. And so, I mean, like Paul literally is the guy who could stand up before any crowd and when they introduced him, pretty much everybody would be halfway through standing and cheering. So it's not a guy who hasn't achieved pretty phenomenal things that's kind of humbling himself. It's a guy who's actually been all about what all of us would call wildly successful and he comes to the point of saying, and in all this success... Here's what I want you to know my life has boiled down to. If you want to know what counts for eternity and what I'm going to live for, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of His Gospel. I want to know the joy of resurrection. I want to stand in the middle of suffering. And I want to stand in the middle of the most broken parts of this world. And I am going to suffer in the middle of that. I will probably be lashed and snake bitten and be in prison. And I want to stand in that with one pure, holy passion. I am surrendered. There's no other name that makes its way through my soul. Except Jesus. And if I could spend the rest of my days as a bondservant of Jesus, I would count it a joy. He, he said some powerful words. For me to live, Christ. For me to die, gain. We like those words. But then he says, so if I'm going to live, it's going to be Christ. If I'm going to live, it's going to be His glory. If I'm going to live, it's going to be fruitful labor. If I'm going to live, there's going to be kingdom gain. If I'm going to live, there's going to be a life spent for His glory. If I'm going to live and appear... Here's what He said in Philippians, the first chapter, I believe. He said, and if I'm going to live, it's, it's going to be that I'm placed on this earth because more and more and more people need to know this Messiah who's captured my soul. So if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for His glory. And I am wondering why you live. And if you can live it, I mean, we love that. I'm so powerful, Jesus. I'm going to find me to live as Christ to die as gain. That's great. But he turns around and says, so I'm going to live, apparently. So why are you living on this planet? Why are you taking up space? Is it for you to say, God, fruitful labor, your glory, your namesake, more people will come into contact with you, more passion for your kingdom. This is why I live. I am a bond servant for Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. And in that will come what I just put as my third thought. Just utter dependence. Total surrender among us. So that there is this beautiful interdependence that happens in the church. Look, I mean, I don't know if you've been flying solo here for a while. It doesn't work. I don't know if you've been kind of going off to your department and hanging out and talking about their department. And your thought about what's going on versus their thought. 
But look, if there's not a beautiful interdependence going on here where we are utterly and completely surrendered to Jesus, and where then we have utter, complete surrender to one another, then we are an exercise in futility and frustration for the advance of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, John 3, 6, For God so loved the world that He gave His Son so that whoever would believe in Him, a person who believes in Him would find some incredible, everlasting joy. But then He turns around and says, but there's no better love in 1 John three sixteen. There's no better love going on on the planet than when the kingdom of Jesus Christ gets together. Because when the kingdom of Jesus Christ gets together, there's this beautiful interdependence going on in this room where we literally look at one another. And I mean literally, this isn't a figurative pastoral metaphor. This isn't a thought by John as he wrote his revelation and then some letters out of it. He said, I'm looking at you and I will die for you. And for some of us, we're going, that's awesome. I'll believe that. No, no. That means I will die to my own ambitions for the sake of your ambitions. I will die to my own preferences for the sake of your preferences. In Philippians, the second chapter, I'm blanking right now, but um, if you have any encouragement from Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any something ambition, I don't, I'm blanking right now, I haven't memorized, but it's not coming to my heart, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Here's what happens in a church. In humility, lay down your lives for one another. In humility, stop talking about your area and how your area, how your area needs something from the other. Start talking about we're in this, we're one, there's one faith, one hope, one baptism, one Lord, overall, in all. How do we advance that and how do we bring shadows to life for one another? I mean, this glorious, interdependence. And if you've been sitting in this room and you've been like just somehow feeling that you're, you've got something going on, you've got some arrogance going on, you've got some pride going on, you've got some deal going on that expresses you above us, gosh, I beg on Jesus Christ's behalf, come and die to yourself so you can possibly be useful for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because as I read Scripture, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is filled with people who are humble and broken and fail to carry any pride with them. So you're going, ah, where do you get that? Well, this is what the Lord desires. A humble and contrite heart that looks at the people around them and says, I wonder, I wonder this, I wonder how I desire to lose my life. This is Jesus' words. So that it can be the sake of the gospel that life will be gained. I wonder how that can happen in this interdependent beauty. The mode that God uses for this, and some of you guests are in the room going, what's going on here? This, I think Jesus is going on here. And I think there's great unity here. And I think there is incredible passion here. And I think there is a need and a constant need to come back and say, look, the enemy will come and step in to any place at any time and seek to seek to steal, kill, divide, and destroy. And we're here because all we want to be about is life. And it's abundant in Jesus Christ. And we're just not crazy enough to think that we can pull this off in and of ourselves because we are not the Mississippi. He is. 
And it seems to me that he's looked and said, look, we know why we're here. God is using his church as a place of, of significance in the kingdom. My dad wrote um, today, and my daughter latched onto this, who's over in another country. My dad wrote, my mom finished cancer treatment on Friday. If you didn't hear the shouting, um, it came from Indianapolis and Atlanta and Jacksonville and Inverness, Florida and any other, Spartanburg, South Carolina. There was a lot of non-Baptist shouting going on about 1.30 on Friday as my mom took her last of an eight-month journey of cancer treatment. And we were pretty excited about that. But I love what my dad wrote, if you're on a social network and follow him. I love what he wrote about the sufficiency of grace among the body of Christ. And I write, just my dad has a good way with words. And he just said, His grace is a sufficient grace. Not His grace is sufficient where the Scripture... I mean, His grace, the mercy of God moving, it's a sufficient grace. I love that my daughter in another part of the world wrote, Pop, thank you for that word. His grace is sufficient because she's dealing with ungrace, poverty, starvation. And looking and going, where is the passion to move into this realm? And, and just... Putting her heart and saying, your grace, Lord, it is a sufficient grace. The grace of Christ among the body of Christ and moving in the family, it is a sufficient grace for us. It is what we need to be able to move forward for the sake of God. His grace is our display. As a church, we're just here to say, God, this is what we want to be about. To live with integrity, to live with heart. To live with passion. I used to wonder, um, I don't know how many of you do the daily walk Bible and read through for the year. I've been doing that for quite a while. And, I, and if you're in the room, you probably don't want to raise your hand on this question right now. But do you ever hit the genealogies and just wonder what in the world? Nobody, you're probably far more spiritual than me. And you're like the guy who wrote the book on prayer of Jabez, you know, just he finds something so unique in there and writes a good thought, and then everybody theologically gets mad at him. And that's what church people do. And so, um, I have so many thoughts right now, and I'll leave that alone. Do you ever wonder about those? I just I, I just wrote... I, they didn't seem very relevant to, relevant to me, and yet here's what God's doing. He's, he's just... He seems to be connecting every generation one after the other, to his story of grace and mercy and his story of the cross. And he's just kind of looking and saying, there's, there's a history here. And this history has been spoken and spoken. And it went, I mean, it went down from the book of Genesis to the inception of the Messiah. It carries from the Messiah into the conversation with Peter. And it carries from Peter's conversation into the birth of the church in the book of Acts, which was a pretty good moment. And it carries 2,000 years later to Mandarin Baptist Church and there's just a genealogy that flows all the way down through the church and through the family that speaks of the goodness and greatness of the Messiah. And because that genealogy there, I just kind of keep reading and reading and, and, and it just, it just is so beautiful because it's capturing the essence of the kingdom of God. These lists remind us that God is actively at work in His church. Amen? I mean, He is actively using His church for the sake of the glory and He's actively using families. For the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, He is linking our past to the future so that we might broadcast, or if you will, bring shadows to life for the sake of His kingdom. 
And it's, it's beautiful that God uses mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, families that come together to, to make display of His greatness and His glory. And it seems to me that that's what He was saying. Is like, Peter, if you will have a group of people who will die to self, come alive to Christ, surrender their lives as they come alive, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to me, Peter, son of Jonah, I'm going to pour some things into you. It's revealed to you. It's from the Father. And I'm telling you, Peter, that on this, I will build my church. And it's going to be one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And we're in the generation right now that is speaking life and hope in 2014 to many people around us seated here, surrendered to Christ, lordship absolute for the sake of Mandarin, Greater Jacks, and the nations. Seated here, surrendered to Christ, lordship absolute and true for the sake of the families that God has put in our stead. And we as a church are to steward the gospel and reconciling message that Christ has given us for His glory with faithfulness and with passion. So that the genealogy of this generation just says and fill in the name. And this generation stood boldly and stood humbly before the cross of Jesus Christ. And there was only one name that seemed to pervade with the Mandarin Baptist family, and that was Jesus. There's only one name that seems to compel the heart of every home. And that's Jesus. I am not positive that that is true of every one of our homes. In fact, if I read Scripture, I'm pretty positive. I'll stop with that. I am not positive that's true with us. But I am positive of this, that the root the route, however you say that, the route, the way to that is through complete surrender and a complete recognition that we can do nothing by ourselves, but only through the Heavenly Father and the people who give themselves to that. I'll end with this. If we do, You have your own pictures. The genealogy of these shadows will be beautiful. And I want to walk with a church who cares about my shadows. Can I just be honest with you? And the shadows of the families that live around us that desperately need us to live with integrity in our homes and our neighborhoods and in this fellowship will come so fully alive. Oh God, let us be that church. Will you just pray that with me? God, I pray for a humility that will just abound here. Not just a humility for a lack of purpose, but a humility at the cross. A humility before Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
God, I pray that you will make the greatest description of us that we are a humble and contrite people. God, I would pray as the one you have invited to shepherd here that my name in my own heart would become so small and there would be no other name that would that would dominate my heart except Jesus. And then, God, I would pray this for this church. That God, there would be one echo, one refrain, one passion that would flow out of us, and it would be that we are capable as a church of making Christ great. And God, as that happens here, I join with what was spoken to me on the front row. God, I join with the vision of what you want to do as you, in this church and out of this church, multiply a humble zeal for Christ all over the world. Animate lives. Bring shadows to life. If you would see fit, Lord, we would, we would sure like to be useful in your hands. We would love to be a part of your work. Give us the hearts to do that. We're going to sing right now a song that is, we're going to sing this song start to finish because it's such a glorious song. It just says that Jesus paid it all. Not Jesus paid a little bit. Not Jesus kind of put a down payment, but he gave everything. And I'm just inviting you to the same thing, however that looks for you. It may be that you just turn to a friend and, I mean, I just love this picture. I'm just turning to a friend and saying, look, I'm not sure that I, I have laid everything out for the gospel with you. Can we just pray that God will do that with us? A lot of times.